weeks ago, I had one of those shocking phone calls from my dad's doctor in Houston, Texas. And a day before, he had told me, there's no way my dad has cancer. 24 hours later, he said, Jerry, your dad has stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma with an underlying HLH syndrome. Your dad has days to live. You need to return to Houston. And friends, what I'm about to share with you this morning is not academic, it's not cerebral, although it certainly is well-evidenced. What I'm about to share with you this morning about the living hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ meets us at our greatest point of need. And that day after I received that phone call, I was stunned. It was a short call. All I knew is I needed to get back to Houston from Dallas. I needed to get down to the med center. I called Dr. Graham and Pastor Mike Buster and just processed it with him. My dad could have days to live. And one thing I knew in that very moment was the peace of Almighty God. And the reason that I had the peace of God is because Jesus has risen from the dead. He's in total control. And friends, it's a beautiful story. God healed my dad. Many of you have been praying. I can't thank this church enough for their prayers for my dad because God literally raised up my dad after being told he had a very decent chance to die. Terrible bedside manner, by the way. Uh, that guy's not my dad's doctor anymore, by the way, but that's beside the point. Um, it's amazing. He's fighting now, and he has nine more chemo treatments. I believe in the power of collective prayer. And I don't know what your most recent shocking phone call has been, something you didn't plan on, something devastating, but as one of the pastors who has the privilege to serve you, I'm going to give you an outline that you can take home with you. And when you get that phone call someday, or if you've already had it, I want you to open up this outline. It's, it's hard stock. You can keep it. I want you to fill it out and be ready because this is what's going to give you hope. Guess what? There is no hope apart from Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, my memory verse this morning is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great love, he has invited us to a living hope, not a dead hope. There's nothing dead or boring about Christianity. A living hope. And why do we have a living hope? Because it feels good or because we get whatever we want or because God's some kind of concierge? No. We have a living hope, 1 Peter 1.3, because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This morning I want to teach you the body of proof. The seven best reasons to believe in the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus and why it matters today. I'm so grateful for Pastor Buster allowing me this weekend. This book just came out right in time for Easter a few days ago. And I'm going to summarize it here. It's so fun to launch it uh, with my church family. And I want you to be praying because uh, if you go to Amazon and you search resurrection books, there are few, there are very few. And it's my opinion that the resurrection is underpreached and understudied in the church today. And yet we have the greatest evidences of all time right now at our fingertips. I don't want you to go to Google. I want you to go to God's Word so that you can be able to share in a moment's notice the hope that you have within you. I was on the blaze earlier this week, and, you know, it's just amazing to me. I give my life to study a subject, okay, decades, hours. My wife can attest. And I'm on a national show this week, and the, the interviewer says, Jeremiah, we're all going to be with our families over Easter. You have one minute to state your case on why you believe Jesus rose from the grave. And friends, I took my, I took my shot. I took my opportunity. You can see my answer. And then Audrey's on the front row here. She said, Jeremiah, you did it in 70 seconds, not 60 seconds. We got it, though. And uh, you can check that out on the Instagram if you want. But um, basically what I said in that 70 seconds is summarized in your outline. So I want to teach you whether you're like me, you had a difficult phone call, 
And friends, I, I don't know how I made it without the church either. We've all been in those places. I want to thank Pastor Mike Buster, who called me every single day. I was at the Med Center in Houston. I don't know if you've been in that world where you're in the hospital, you don't know what day it is. Every single day, that dear man called and prayed over me and my dad. I just love our church so much, don't you? I, love, I thank God for the praying people of our church. Um, or if you have a skeptical friend or family member, you've got to know in 60 seconds how to answer it. This is what I want to teach you today. I want to pass on to you what the Lord has taught me. Let's go to our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. And this is a continuation of our Tell Me the Story of Jesus series right here at Prestonwood. I thank you for bringing your Bibles. And parents, go ahead and encourage your kids to fill out this outline as well, like my son Justin is doing on the front row. They can fill it out. And if I forget any fill in the blanks, just tell your kids to yell up here at me and I'll, I'll make sure I go back and I make sure I, didn't, I don't miss that fill in the blank. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you need to know, is probably the most serious Bible passage in all of the New Testament. It's taken more seriously today than any other passage in God's word as far as the New Testament goes. It's written by the Apostle Paul and it begins like this. Now I want to remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you in which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance. Now, well, let's pause right there. First off, Jeremiah, why is he having to remind a church of the gospel that he had already preached to them? Do you know why we need to be reminded of the gospel? Because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to get complacent in our Christian life. It's so easy to get busy at life that we forget the power of the gospel. But I can tell you the gospel has power every day. And that's why Paul wants to remind the church of the power of the gospel. And then he goes on, and I want to make sure you understand how important it is for you to level up your knowledge and your belief in the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. This is not a secondary matter. If Jesus Christ did not physically walk out of the grave, according to a devastating passage, verse 19 of this same chapter, we are the most to be pitied. People should feel sorry for us as Christians if Jesus didn't walk out of that grave alive. And that's why Paul writes right here in verse 3, this is a matter of first importance. Friends, there's a lot of things we're not going to know until we get to heaven, but the one thing we're all going to know when we get to heaven is the gospel. And Paul wants to remind you of it. I put the cross-reference, that's what CF stands for right there, cross-reference to Galatians 1, 18 and 19. Now, I want to remind you, Paul saw the resurrected Christ. The first time Paul ever met Jesus was in his resurrection. Think about that for a moment, because all the other disciples met Jesus before he was raised from the dead. The apostle Paul met Jesus as the resurrection, even though he met Jesus as the resurrection and he had this empowering experience, he still needed to make sure he had the gospel message right. So friends, your experiences are important. We praise God for experiences with God, but make sure you always come back to the word of God to make sure you get the gospel right. Why can I say that? Galatians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, the apostle Paul comes to Christ about a year after Jesus' resurrection. He then spends three years in Arabia. And then, Galatians 1, Paul says, I go up to Jerusalem, and I get to see Peter, and I'm with the Lord's brother, James. Now, I hope we can time travel in heaven someday, don't you? Like, I want to go back to certain moments in history, certain moments in time where you could just sit back and say, wow. 
Do you know Paul spent 15 days with Peter and with the Lord's brother James, and all they did was talk about the gospel. They made sure they got it right. And so friends, uh, in that same vein today, I want to make sure we have it right. I want to pass on to you what we've been given. And what is the gospel? It's so easy a child can understand it, so powerful you can defend it on any stage or any platform or in any venue because the tips, the, tails, the scales of truth, they tip in our favor. I love verse 3. So here's the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Verse 4, that he was buried and that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Boom, there's the gospel. Wow, so powerful. Then he goes on and he gives what's called the appearance tradition. Then, here's where Paul's saying, put it to the test. We believe in a historical fact, not fiction, not fairy tales, not Avengers, uh, Star Wars world, not nothing made up. No, this really happened. Real places, real people, real events. He says, then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers, many of whom are still alive, but some who have gone to sleep. Koimao, I love that in Greek. You know, we can talk about our loved ones as just being asleep, because um, they're going to rise again, and we will with them someday. Every time death is mentioned in the, in the New Testament, it's those who have fallen asleep in the Lord. And we know to be absent from the body is to be right now in face-to-face fellowship with Jesus Christ. Then he appeared to James. Oh, we're going to end there today. Don't miss that. Verse 7, he appears to James. How do we know that Paul knows that? Go back to Galatians 1. James told him about it for two weeks, about two years after the resurrection. Do you see how the Bible corroborates the Bible? One of the great things we need to learn and keep reminding ourselves is Scripture corroborates Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. As we know the Word of God, both Old and New Testament, we will begin to interpret it with more accuracy. So what is the body of proof, and why is it important? Why does it matter to my life? Well, let me share it this way. There are 300 passages in the New Testament that mention the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wow. How does that compare to the amount of chapters in the New Testament? Well, in the New Testament, we have 260 chapters that mention 300 times the resurrection of Jesus. There's more than one occurrence in every chapter of the New Testament. Every single sermon in the book of Acts talks about the resurrection of Jesus. Why did they want to uh, uh, yell Paul down at the Areopagus when he said, You're, you attack me because of the what? The resurrection. What, why didn't Acts 23, did the, the Sanhedrin become a mob? Because Paul preached the resurrection. Make no mistake, as C.S. Lewis says in his book, Miracles, to be an apostle was to see the resurrected Lord. There is no Christianity without the resurrection. And so, friends, what I'm excited to share with you is some fresh evidence on why we can believe in the body of proof of Jesus' resurrection. The resurrection also gives us purpose. You know, we live in a time when society is largely given into despair. Many of you probably wonder, you know, what's the point of life anyways? Well, the resurrection not only gives us hope, it allows us to live with purpose. It allows us to commit our lives to something and pour our life out in a God-honoring way because of the resurrection. So what can we say? What do we know? It's a matter of first importance. Number one, the reason that I believe that Jesus rose from the grave, the resurrection of Jesus is the only way we make sense of the suffering in our world. 
This comes right out of Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider, listen to this passage, that the sufferings, and we do acknowledge our pain. We don't run away from it. We acknowledge it. Paul did. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's why Paul could echo the Old Testament also in 1 Corinthians, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared to those who love him. Because of the resurrection, we need to discuss our relatives in the present, even if they've died in the Lord. I lost my nephew, stillborn, Wesley, we say his name. The first time that he opened his eyes, he saw Jesus Christ. Because of the power of the gospel, we know we will see him again. You can always talk about your loved ones with that same living hope because of the resurrection. The resurrection, it strikes at the heart of every one of us because we wonder, is this all there is? Is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for our future? The resurrection answers all these questions. And you see again and again and again, not just evidentially but spiritually, we cannot describe or understand the rise of the church from scattering, cussing Christians while Jesus is being crucified to taking over the Roman Empire within two years outside of one event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important. And you know, I sense God is doing something really powerful in our country this year, don't you? I am optimistic when I see the revivals that are taking place, the outpouring of God's spirit. Do you know people are now more open to God than before COVID to have a faith conversation? Do you know people now understand that there is no hope without God and perhaps we don't have all the answers? So this is our opportunity, church family, to invite people in to know the hope of the gospel, just like we heard Micah did in that wonderful welcome. Number two, Jesus called it. I love this because... There are quite a few skeptics out there who say, you know, Jesus didn't really know what he was doing. Don't you know that, you know, there were a lot of rabbis that thought they were the Messiah in the first century. And, you know, people that came later made Jesus God. Jesus never said he was God. He certainly didn't rise from the dead. When I was defending my thesis in Oxford, I give this story in the book, I was actually asked. Now, Jeremiah, first question I was asked in Oxford, pass, fail on my PhD, do you believe Jesus rose from the grave, or is that just imaginative storytelling? I said, oh, no, oh, no. I believe Jesus physically, bodily rose from the grave. It's not imaginative storytelling. Yes, I believe that. And my examiner said, I don't see it that way. Let's start your Viva. So, friends, yes, it happened. Why do I believe that? The second one is Jesus called it. I love this. On the third day. Now, did you know that the early church had a hashtag called on the third day? Now, if you don't know what a hashtag is, I can't help you, my friend. I cannot help you with that today. Jesus has this really cool way of taking Old Testament passages. He messianizes them. What does that mean? He's the Messiah. He applies them to himself and his mission. And he says, today, this has been fulfilled. He did that in Luke 4 with Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. He does it again and again in his teaching so that we understand who he is and what his mission is. Jesus' favorite passage, and remember, he refers to himself as son of man 69 times. That's Daniel chapter 7. That's the Messiah. Jesus knew who he, what, who he is and what his mission was. But this is a really cool passage. Check out Hosea 6, 2 and 3. Hosea says, after two days he will revive us. On the third day, I love how our media team bolded that, he will raise us up that we may live before him. 
Now, do you know it's important that Jesus knew what he was doing, what his mission was? In fact, do you remember the disciples? Um, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but do you remember occasionally the disciples spoke for Satan? You're like, whoa, what do you mean? Do you remember when Peter said, no, Lord, you can't go to the cross? Do you remember how Jesus responded to him? Get behind me, what? Satan. So even they occasionally didn't know what was going on. So that's why we take time to study Jesus' passion predictions. Check out Mark 8.31, Mark 9.31, Mark 10.33 and 34. These are three passages we should all have memorized or on the tip of our tongue. Yes, Jesus predicted his violent death and resurrection, and he also predicted it based on Hosea 6, 2, and 3. Do you see that? After three days, after three days, after three days. And then what does Paul say? On the third day, he will be raised up. That is the gospel. Make sure we get it right. Now, I want to show you a really cool photo of the Mount of Olives. Check out this photo. This is really beautiful. Now, Do you know how many bodies are buried, we estimate, on the Mount of Olives? This is in the land of Israel, in the city of Jerusalem. We're looking at the eastern gate, so this would be the western slope of the Mount of Olives. Do you know we estimate there are 150,000 bodies buried on the Mount of Olives? You say, where are they buried? Well, do you see all those boxes? Do you know what those are called? Those are called ossuaries or bone boxes. Guess how long they are, friends. They're, they're this long. You know your longest bone in your body? Your femur from your knee up to your hip. That's how long they are because that's the longest bone in your body. The family that's buried together stays together. Did you know that in Judaism? Because not only, why are they so tall? Well, you would just pack the whole family in those bone boxes. The Jews practice second burial, a practice called oscillagium. So they not only celebrated the, and they obviously lamented um, the passing, they, they didn't just lament it, but a year later they celebrated their passing of their loved one and they would go collect the bones out of the family tomb, place them in an ossuary, you can go see these today. Don't ever let a skeptic tell you that they didn't really know where Jesus was buried because that is in the cultural idea today and in the universities as well. Don't ever let someone tell you that Jesus' body, here's a best-selling book for you, was likely eaten by dogs or it was thrown in a mass criminal burial pit. These kind of misconception, deceit theories, they're all over the place. What am I showing you here? Burial is a sacred honor in the family of Jesus and every other family living at that time. Nobody would have misplaced where Jesus was buried. The tomb, would have, they would have known well where it is. What's really cool, by the way, there's a prophecy, obviously, in Zechariah that Messiah steps foot on the Mount of Olives. He proceeds, there's an earthquake, and then do you see that eastern gate is all walled in? Uh, the Muslims actually did that because they're aware of the prophecy of the coming Messiah. They thought they could keep him out if they just wall up the entrance. Right there, you're seeing it with your own eyes. At any rate, um, I love all the ossuaries are pointing towards the eastern gate. Now, I don't dance, and my wife can tell you this after 20 years, but one thing I can do is model what it's like. In the resurrection someday, Jews are buried in such a way that they won't even have to turn around in the resurrection. They literally will just stand up and keep going, literally with a straight line. That's how powerful Jewish burial traditions are. I'm taking time to share this in a Sunday morning worship service because make no mistake, Jesus predicted his death and resurrection, and nobody would have lost him. They would have remembered those, those predictions. Number three, Jesus demonstrated resurrection power. I love this point. Mark chapter 5, Jairus' daughter dies. 
Jesus raises her from the dead. We actually hear eyewitness delicious details. We hear it in the Aramaic, Talitha Kum, recorded in our Greek New Testament. What's another resurrection miracle Jesus did? Very similar to Elijah of the Old Testament, Luke chapter 7, the widow of Nain's son. Remember, Jesus stops a burial or funeral processional. You remember that? The funeral's going by. I mean, I talk about going back to a moment in time. Jesus stops. Remember, the boy had died that day because you had to be buried before sundown in Jewish burial traditions. Jesus touches the buyer, which would have made him ceremonially unclean. Nothing makes Jesus unclean, by the way. And he says, the boy is not dead. He's sleeping. Stand up. People are probably, it's amazing that everyone else didn't die from a heart attack seeing that. Then there's this powerful passage in John 11. Where not only do they want to kill Jesus because he performs this miracle, they want to kill Lazarus after he's been raised from the dead. If you read it closely. Jesus is the only place in the New Testament outside the cry of dereliction where we see that Jesus yells. He looks at Lazarus' tomb, and we have a picture of it. It's the one on the left. He looks at that very tomb in Bethany, and he says, Duro exo. And I love it when he says Duro exo. It means come out. You know, a lot of Bible commentators uh, joke and speculate, if Jesus hadn't used the name Lazarus, everyone who's dead would have just come out of the graves at that moment. What's really interesting, though, Lazarus would die again a second time because only Jesus is the first fruit of our resurrection. Only Jesus' resurrection, he is the first one to be raised never to die again. All these others just foreshadowed his power over death. Jairus' daughter would die again. The widow of Nain's son would die again. Here we have the second burial spot for Lazarus. And guess where it is? It's not even in Israel. It's on the island of Cyprus. Lazarus probably didn't worry about death too much the second time around. You know what I mean? He, he went and played golf in Cyprus. And that is where, I mean, who else? What other religion can you go to not one but two different burial sites for one of the followers of that religion? Jesus demonstrated resurrection power. I love it. Number four, Jesus' bodily resurrection was not what his disciples anticipated. This is very important, and this does mark an original contribution to knowledge in this book, Body of Proof. I give you um, some new horizons. If I could do another doctorate, which don't worry, Audrey, I won't. But if I could, these were some of the new areas, the fresh arguments. Nobody expected the Messiah to die. Even the Dead Sea Scrolls, 4Q285, they predicted the Dead Sea Scroll community that when Messiah came, he would kill the Roman emperor. He would vanquish a corrupt priesthood. He would be a conquering king. You say, Jeremiah, what about um, Isaiah 53? Well, Isaiah 53 was not widely held that the Messiah would die. We, we interpret that text now through the lens of Jesus. But in the first century world, nobody wanted a dying Messiah, certainly not one that would die the death of crucifixion, the most heinous way to die of all time. I wish I could tarry more there. Luke 24, 21 says, we had hoped he was the Messiah. The reason they no longer hoped he was the Messiah is because he died by crucifixion. And that's when Jesus is with them. He reveals himself and they said, man, we're not our hearts burning within us. Number five, this is a great point. This is one of those points where when you have these skeptical friends that say, okay, close your Bible, what do we really know that will evidence what we have written about Jesus and the Gospels when it comes to resurrection? Check out number five, written in archaeological sources, overwhelmingly support the Gospels' resurrection narrative. 
Now, check out some of these slides. I want to first remind you, oh, this is so cool, you guys. This is so cool. I've given you a website where you can go use all of these photos, and you can see my notes that I'm about to share with you. This is a crucifixion bone and an execution crucifixion nail. Have you ever seen this before? We actually know what his name is. Why? He was buried in a bone box. His name is Yehohanan. It's the long form of John. His name is John. He was crucified in AD 26 under the reign of Pontius Pilate. In fact, he had to be buried before nightfall. He wasn't thrown in a mass burial grave. His body wasn't eaten by dogs. And it must have been getting dark fast because they decided to bury him, crucifixion nail and all. Still, it had fish hooked. They couldn't get it out of his heels. They just said, oh, I'll just bury him there. And now it's a priceless artifact for us from archaeology. That proves the way that the Gospels explain it is exactly what happened to Roman criminals who were crucified. Let's take a picture or take a look at the next slide. That, there it is. There's a wood washer crucified. We see it, how it's, you can actually see this. Uh, this is at the Sackler, it's actually called that still, the Sackler Medical Facility in Tel Aviv. They actually have the original heel bone. Let's go to the next slide if we can. This is, was found in 1967. Now, do you notice that wood on the right? That's like a wood washer. And then it just disintegrated because it, for 2,000 years it had been without oxygen. That's the actual picture that you're seeing this morning. There's some other really cool archaeology that I don't have time to get into, but um, I do want to show the Emmaus tombs. Very cool. 80% of the tombs had small, it was like a cork in a bottle. They're about a meter square. But then check out the tombs of the wealthy. What do we read in the Gospels? The women know where Jesus is buried. Who will move the stone away from us? Do you see that stone? Probably weighs 800 pounds. Their worries are merited, right? They're probably four foot... 10 or 11, maybe 100 pounds, the stone is huge. About 20% of our tombs in the land of Israel were tombs of the wealthy. And this is, again, everything that we see um, explained in the gospel narrative smacks of authenticity. I love it. Everything the gospels tell us, what you need to know about Jesus' death and resurrection is supported by archaeology and by the sources. And friends, you're free to disagree with the women's experience at the tomb. You're free to disagree with the Apostle Paul's experience of Jesus. But you are not free to disagree with the archaeology and the facts and insert your own facts over the truth. How you interpret it is between you and God. What I'm doing is giving you the facts. Number six, why do I believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Here we are. Remember that passage about James? It is the only convincing explanation for the conversion of those who did not follow Jesus during his ministry. Verse 7 says, then he appeared to James. Now, let me take a quick poll of the audience. How many of you have a brother? Raise your hand if you have a brother today. A lot of brothers. What would it take for you to believe your brother is the son of God, the Messiah of the world? People always laugh. I have four boys. None of them are the Messiah, I assure you. Do you know the Bible does not hide itself from the embarrassing details that Jesus' own family did not believe in him before the resurrection? You mean Jesus had skeptics in his own family? Yes. How do I know that? Mark chapter 3, verse 21, his own family took offense at him. John 7, 5, not even his brothers believed on him. He is out of his mind. Mark 3, 21. 
I wish I could time travel back. Do you remember James? He was working in the family construction shop. He's probably humiliated. Brother Jesus has been crucified. The family could be outcasted. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears to his brother James, according to the word of God. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7. And I, I can just imagine it like this. Jesus shows up in the workshop. Bro, check out my side. Check out my hands. And do you know what's fascinating to me? When I close the scripture and I use extra biblical sources, I read in a historian by the name of Flavius Josephus, he writes that in AD 62, 30 years later, Brother James dies. He is martyred. He's actually stoned to death believing his brother is the son of God because of why? The resurrection. So friends, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with the truth and power of the resurrection? And then number seven, very quickly, let me give you the final point of our body of proof. Friends, it's the only convincing explanation for the historical fact that society is transformed everywhere Christianity is introduced and embraced. I preached on that last time I was here, the impact of the church on the world today. What about you? You've heard the body of proof. Will you give your life to Christ? Or today, if you've been listening to it, will you become a more sure-footed thinker on your toes, ready to give the body of proof whenever God gives you an opportunity? I pray you will. Can we stand together and have a moment of invitation with every head bowed, every eye closed as we stand together for our time of response? Lord, we thank you today for the power of your Holy Spirit in our worship in our giving, in our life groups, and then, Lord, the power of your word being taught to us today. We just praise you for it. We thank you, Jesus, that you meet us exactly where we're at. If it's a diagnosis or a hurt or a pain, Lord God, if it's something that didn't work out, a disappointment, perhaps an unanswered prayer, you meet us with a living hope of the resurrection. Lord, your word promises that because of the resurrection, we can be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. 